Today, we are going to look at a chapter in Scripture that's about building. Everyone admires a builder. Elon Musk is much admired for building the Tesla Corporation. We see his plug-in electric cars all over the place now, but 10 years ago, who knew? Professional sports teams will hire a new coach and he will get rid of all the expensive players and hire younger players that he wants. And even though they're losing games, we are reminded that he is actually rebuilding the team. Coaches building a new and better team. And the reason we're drawn to builders is because we were created to build. When God created our first father, Adam, he commanded him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We were created to take the stuff of the earth and make it into something better. So we're going to ponder building today. So please open to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14, as we move through this often perplexing book, the question before us today is twofold. First question is, what are you building? And the second question is, how are you building it? Look at verse 1. The wisest of women builds her house. Now, in case you're wondering, this is not a call for women to learn carpentry, plumbing, and electrical wiring. A house here is a household. A place where people who are related to each other live and eat and sleep, and until very recent times, work. So when Proverbs says a wise woman builds her house, we use the term household. A household is made up of people whose life and activities all surround an actual physical house. Now, this book of Proverbs, if you haven't been with us from the beginning, it is a book whose first audience, the, 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 the book was written with young men in mind. And so it's a little surprising that we have a verse on the wisest of women. You see, the way Proverbs works is it makes you think. You got to ponder, you got to ask, what is this about? We're going to find another verse in this text that does the same thing. You think, why in the world is this here? Well, first, If you're a young man contemplating marriage, this is what you should be looking for. A builder. A household builder. You'll find her described at the very end of the book of Proverbs in quite lengthy, poetic terms. And she's mentioned throughout the book, so it's a pretty big deal in the quest for wisdom. If you're a young man who wants to be wise, And I'm talking to you young men, even if you're 10 years old. 
you want to be looking for a builder. Proverbs 19.14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. She is a gift from God and a gift to seek after. Now, young men tend to be attracted, understandably in some ways, to physical beauty and to be attracted to someone who flatters their vanity. But if she's not wise, if she's not desirous of building a household, you should move on. Proverbs says as much in chapter 11, we saw this already, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. So young men, you should be looking for a builder. Secondly, young women, if you're a young woman who wants to be married, you should pay attention to this. You should want to be that woman. You want to be a builder. You should be looking for a wise man with whom you can build. Which leads us to our third point. If you want to marry a wise woman who will build a strong household, you better be someone that that woman would want to marry. (laughs) She's not going to be very interested in you unless she can follow you as a builder. If she is wise, she'll be looking for that kind of man. If this book were originally written for young women, I'm sure we'd find a verse that said something like this, like a gold watch on a baboon's wrist is a handsome guy who lives by folly. And finally, for anyone who lives in a household, especially for a household head or the wife of a household head, you want to be thinking about how to build a household in wisdom. And Proverbs 14 tells you how. The chapter comes in three sections. The first speaks about building for abundance. The second part speaks about building in reality. And the third speaks of building in society, your household in the context of a larger society. Today we're just going to look at the first section, verses 1 through 7. I've given it a heading already, building for abundance. So let's start by looking at verse 1 because this gives us the topic of the first seven verses. Look at it in its entirety. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Now, it's really interesting. Why does the second part say folly and not the foolish woman? We've already heard about the woman folly in chapter 9. Here it simply says folly. So you have to think, okay, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly, without it being identified with the female sex, folly can destroy a household. A wife or a husband or a child can tear down a household. And I think the author wants the young man to see that he has him in mind as well. It doesn't take much to tear down a house. So how can folly tear down a house? She might be incompetent in her responsibilities, or she's never learned how to follow a leader. 
She has no interest in creating a physical space that enhances life. She doesn't know how to make nourishing food. She may tear it down with words of anger when she is displeased. She might lack self-control in her use of time, neglecting her duties, mismanaging money, failing to prepare for household needs. She might be constantly critical of other household members, especially her husband, leaving everyone feeling either like a failure or resentful of her criticism. It is not hard to tear down a house. And the same goes for a husband. His neglectful or destructive behavior can have even worse effects. So there's a warning here. If you don't learn to build wisely, if you don't marry a wise builder, you will live in a damaged house even a destroyed house. So now we're ready to look at verses 1 through 7. Please read with me. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. The scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. But knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. These are God's words. Pray with me. Lord, these are old words, ancient words, eternal words that are often hard to understand. And we confess, even with the best teacher, we are incapable incapable of understanding unless you come to us and teach us. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, to teach us this text and show show us how you want it to function in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's first talk about the shape of this text. Biblical writers often shape their words around a center point with the verses leading up to it and the verses that come after it relating to each other. The scholars call this, Devin has mentioned this before, they call it a chiasm. Bilbo Baggins calls it a there and back again story. I compare it to hiking up a mountain. You climb the mountain so you can get the view from the top. But along the trail, you stop to take note of what you can see from every elevation. Then you go down by a different path. On the way down, you stop at the same elevations as on your ascent to see the same view from a little different perspective. 
In verse 1, we see the goal. The goal of the text is building a house. But along our ascent, we find obstacles to building. The second half of verse 1 tells us that folly will tear down your house. And as we climb, we'll see wisdom and folly contrasted all related to household building. So let's, let's begin our ascent. As we climb, we see that to build a strong and lasting house, you must walk in uprightness. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despise him, despises him. You walk in truth-telling. You walk by keeping your spoken commitments. You walk this way not because it will make you richer or give you a better reputation with others. You walk this way because you fear the one who sees and hears all your words. You walk because this way because you fear the Lord. You fear Him so you want to avoid His displeasure and discipline. And you fear Him because He is so great and powerful and wise and just that you love Him and you want to please Him. So you reject devious ways. If you conduct your house building through lying or deceiving or failing to keep commitments, your life says that you do not fear the Lord. In fact, you despise Him. You count Him personally as worthless. All right, well, let's keep climbing. As you keep climbing to the passage's main point, we take another rest stop at an overlook in verse 3. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. At this point, we see how important speech is in building a house. Fools say foolish things. They speak without listening. They reveal things they should hold in confidence. They don't take into consideration the effects of their words on others. They boast about themselves and insult other people. Proverbs is filled with calls to avoid foolish speech. Foolish speech will eventually hurt you. It will become a rod for your back. This word is only used twice in the Old Testament. In the other place in Isaiah, it's not a rod, but a shoot or a branch that grows out of a stump. The longer you go in your foolish speech, the bigger the branch grows until the consequences of your folly become exceptionally painful. Wise speech will keep you from this rod of punishment. You will say only things that are true and build others up with your words. Otherwise, you just keep your mouth shut. A hard lesson to learn. So now, the summit is in view and we climb to get the picture that the writer of Proverbs wants us to see. And what we see at the top of the mountain is surprising. Central to building a house is this. With the work comes a mess. <laughs> Verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. 
but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, most of us can't relate to this. To my knowledge, we have only one family present who is closely acquainted with large farm animals, but if you spend any time with such animals, you quickly learn that the poop of large animals stinks and it sticks to your boots, your clothes, your skin. It is wet and heavy. But you can't let it rot in the animal's stall. You have to muck it out. And that is an unpleasant task. Verse 4 talks about a particular farm animal, the ox. One ox can do the work of ten men in plowing a field or pulling a cart filled with harvested crops or threshing grain. And one ox can produce a mountain of manure. To build a house, you can't work alone. It involves finding ways to increase your productivity by working with others. But that means that you will need to clean up messes along the way. A productive life is messy. I want you to fix that in your minds, because a lot of times we think that clean is the only way to go. You can apply this principle in many ways. You can apply it to building a business or building a sports team. But what is in view here is building a household. Now, we live in a society that does not respect the household. Our society prefers that mothers and fathers give their primary time and their primary attention to building other people's businesses while they subcontract out family building. The result is a weakened household. The household becomes the place where you eat at least some meals and sleep and keep your stuff. Now, oh, there's a little little danger here as I move through this because some of you may be going in a direction I don't think this passage wants to take you. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that homeschooling is the only wise way to get a child educated, and I'm not saying that parents should only work from home. What I am saying, what this text says, is that building a family is hard work, and it is messy work where there are no children the walls have no fingerprints but by the strength of a child who grows to be wise comes much increase if you build your house your family in wisdom you will find abundant fruit but along the way there will be lots of messes to clean up children are inefficient we live in an efficiency society. Kids, they're not, they're not tracking with that. They can't seem to keep a pair of shoes in one place unless they're wearing them at the same time. They forget. They lose things. They are lazy and dawdle and track in mud. Worse, they whine and complain. They can lie and in the spirit of silliness, break valuable things. But they were created to be strong. And if you train them 
in wisdom, there will be abundant increase. They'll become strong as an ox. Building a household. We live in a culture, a society that has forgotten this. Building a household is fundamental to building your life. Now, not all get married and not all can have children. And there is another household that transcends the hereditary family, the church, the household of God. There, all of us are called to work. But the household centered on a father and a mother, which is the topic of this text, a household centered on a father and a mother is fundamental to God's work in the world. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. The first man and woman were commanded to fill the earth with people made in the image of God. These people, if you haven't noticed yet, they begin as babies and grow, oh, ever so slowly into adults. So this is a command to every generation of human beings. Build families. Build them in wisdom. The signs of a society in decay are the denigration of marriage and disdain for child-rearing. We exalt instead comfort and wealth. And children will inevitably make you uncomfortable and cost your bank account dearly. But by the strength of the child comes much increase. Now, I can say this now from experience. I want to tell you a story. More than 20 years ago, I was the executive pastor of a large church, and pastors from around the country would come to visit us to learn the secrets of our success. And they would come with prepared questions. And I remember one of them asking me what I found to be my greatest leadership challenge in my leadership role in the church. And without hesitation, I said, I have three teenagers. I know of no greater leadership challenge. I did. And I meant it. I meant it. Child-rearing requires wisdom in often perplexing situations. Now, the reason I have a perspective on this is today I'm watching my children build households of their own. Their mangers are full of young oxen. And the work is hard. And there seems to be constant mess. And new messes they never expected. Every day. But I also see young images of God growing in the knowledge and wisdom of God. I see them putting their faith in Jesus and recognizing the foolishness of this world. I see them growing and taking responsibility. And I, I must say, not only do I see this intimately within my own family, but I see this within the family sitting before me right now. 
And I want you parents to be encouraged. And I want you children to see how important it is that you learn from them and follow them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. And what joy this abundance brings. I don't know of anything more satisfying than this. The Spirit of God wants you parents today, you parents who are raising children, to see this and embrace this and apply this wisdom that goes with it in the verses surrounding it. This world is not just fallen. Living in this world is hard work. There's only one work greater than building a household, and that is building the household of God. But that spiritual household is typically comprised of human households. So we're all builders here today. And you parents need to see this is hard, it's messy, and it's worth it. Because by the strength of the ox comes much increase. The Holy Spirit wants children here today growing in your parents' home to understand your, what your parents are trying to do. They are trying to pass on to you the wisdom of Jesus Christ. You learn that wisdom through relating to your parents, through relating to your siblings, through going to school, through doing chores and building Lego towers. Yeah, it's all, it's all a piece of a piece. Honor your parents in this work. And someday, by God's gift, you will do the same work. The Spirit wants the rest of us in Grace Church, those of us who are not children and not raising children, to actively support these households. It may be through practical care. It may be through sharing wisdom that comes through experience. It may be simply through prayer and encouragement. It's harder to build a household today in a society that is not organized around households than it was not that very long ago. The test of a household is how long it lasts. A household that is built on the wisdom of God that is found through Jesus Christ will endure beyond your own day into another generation. When Nancy and I were raising children, we often said to each other that we were doing this not just for them, but for our grandchildren. Now I look at our grandchildren and envision what kind of parents they could be. Well, We've spent enough time here on the top of the mountain looking at this passage. It's time to climb down and look again at the vistas we saw at the lower elevations. As we drop to the lookout below the top, we see that honest speech is crucial, just as we saw in verse 3. Verse 3 speaks of speech and Verse 5 speaks of speech. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. Here what comes out of our mouth 
can lead to great injustice. When we think of a witness, we immediately think of the courtroom. In the courtroom, a false witness can send an innocent person to jail. But this applies to all spheres of life. A false witness in a business deal. A false witness in a family dispute. A false witness when what you know to be true will hurt you in the short run. You say it anyway because it's true. In the long run, you build a house that will last on a true testimony, even if what you say will bring you difficulty. All right, so let's keep climbing. We're climbing down the mountain, and we come to the first lookout that we encountered, the first elevation that we encountered when we began our climb, and there we learned that wisdom cannot be found apart from the fear of the Lord. Now we learn that without the fear of the Lord, wisdom is actually impossible. Verse 6, a scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. A scoffer mocks the wisdom that comes from God. He says that he can live a good life apart from God. But he never finds wisdom that will last. It is, in the words of Ecclesiastes, like a vapor. He never finds the wisdom that leads to life. He's always searching but never finding. And he has foolish philosophers tell him that life is not about finding wisdom but only searching for it. But if you understand that knowledge from God, the knowledge that leads to wisdom, if you understand that it is a gift, it is a gift from God, and if you seek that gift in the fear of the Lord, knowledge is pretty plain. It's not that hard to see when you see it in the fear of the Lord. And so we return down to the base of the mountain. And we see that just as in verse 1, folly tears down a house, so in verse 7, we should not be looking to learn wisdom from a fool. Read it with me. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Now, people who reject the wisdom grounded in the fear of the Lord can offer us help in life. They can offer us practical help, as in how to fix a car or how to deal with diabetes. But we must not look to them for the knowledge that transcends these practical matters. A good investment counselor cannot give me wisdom on how to spend my wealth. He cannot warn me about greed. He can't help me to see my wealth in the context of the fear of the Lord. Your biology teacher may know a lot about how a cell functions in a living organism, but she can't tell you how to think about how to live in your body. Avoid fools offering wisdom. They're everywhere. And they usually come with a subscription of only $8.99 a month. Build your household on wisdom grounded in the fear of the Lord. 
Isn't it surprising how this passage holds together and how it mirrors till you get to the top? It's profound. The hike's over. We've climbed one of the mountains of wisdom. There will be others throughout the book. So what have we learned? Only wisdom will build a strong and lasting house. Folly can destroy a house. A strong, lasting house is built on truth-telling and not on lying or deception. Building a productive, fruitful house will require cleaning up a lot of messes. Now, we're almost done. But we must consider another way of looking at building a house in wisdom. You don't need to turn there because you're very familiar with these words in Matthew 7. Listen to Jesus. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You cannot reduce wisdom to a technique or a set of moral laws. Wisdom is following Jesus Christ, listening to His words, obeying what He says. In an age that cherishes individual liberty, we tend to read Jesus' words as individuals. This is all about me and Jesus. But I want to ask you a question. Is that the case? Is this just me and my little life before Jesus? Jesus' words so closely parallel the first verse of our text today that we must not read it as if it applies to me in my isolation. He's talking about house building. We must ask of the text why Jesus uses the metaphor of building a house. Is he speaking not just to individuals, but to households? Proverbs 10 through 13 deal primarily with an individual being challenged to embrace wisdom. But now, beginning in chapter 14, we see that wisdom builds something with others. The young man needs to learn that I've got to build with other people. And it's the first person he's called to establish this new household with is a wife. And so the, the passage begins there. Wisdom builds households. Wisdom does not simply ask, how am I doing? Wisdom asks, how are we doing? How can we apply wisdom to our household to make it more fruitful? So the call of the Christian is to walk in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Proverbs gives us the wisdom of Jesus, though the writer of Proverbs did not know the incarnate Christ. We 
do. And we can read this book as a gift from Jesus and learn to find our way in this life. Not just each one of us alone, but together with all those Jesus has joined us to in our families and in our church. We can hear Jesus' words. We can do them even as we understand them in and through the book of Proverbs. We can build households that will withstand the greatest storms. Households that will stand because they were built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord, we have opened up your word and we have seen that there are wondrous things to behold here. That you have called us to shape our lives around these two households that you've given us. And you've, especially in this text, called us to build families that will bear abundant fruit. To do it in a way that rejects the wisdom of this world and the folly of this world in a way that honors Jesus Christ. Father, please, I pray for every parent here that they would leave this text inspired. I pray for every child here growing up in his parents' household that he would leave this text challenged to learn wisdom and reject folly. I pray for all of us as a church that we would support these households that right now are dealing with daily messes, that we would encourage them and support them. And that as we all join together from our many varied households into the household of Grace Church, which you created, that we would all join together walking in wisdom and revealing your name and your goodness and truth in a lost world. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.